So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson, and I cannot wait to get started today. We are going to go into a two-part training series, and because it's been a while since I've, I've had a lot of guests on, and I love I love to de- deliver some meat and potatoes, okay? So we're going li- to deliver some meat and potatoes, and we're going to call this series, The Juice is Worth the Squeeze, and this is going to be a two-part series on you know when you first try to find a deal and you you get one under contract what is all the steps that happen between finding a qualified deal all the way to closing the deal and there's lots of little things that happen inside that process that people need to truly understand and i think they just need a you know a step by step explanation of how it works now I'm going to do a lot of this uh, on, you know, doing audio, obviously, but I'm going to highly recommend that you jump onto YouTube and check out the podcast because I'm going to use some visual aids to help kind of drive this thing home because this is going to be a really good teaching moment. And I want you guys to not only hear it, but you can see it as well. And I think that'll help you cement the concept. Okay. So before I get going too far, I got, I got a couple of things that I've got to get out. Number one, we want to grow our Facebook page, the Multifamily Legacy Podcast page. We want people to be way more active. And so what I want to do is, I, I, man, I love you guys. And, you know, I want you to get on to our Multifamily Legacy Podcast. It doesn't cost you anything. And then ask questions. We're going to start taking those questions. I say live, but when I do podcasts, I'm going to bring up those questions and I'm going to answer those questions. And I'll give you a shout out. But we really want to create some community on our Facebook page because we really want it to place, be the place where you can bring deals, you can find money, you can find partners, and we want it to be an active, active community. And that takes you getting involved. So take the time to jump on our Facebook page and ask a question and so I can uh, talk about it on, on the podcast. So number two is our boardroom. The Kahuna boardroom is now open. And man, this is going to be the last boardroom that we're going to do it's in october and so it's going to be the last boardroom that i'm going to do this year and i'm not going to do another event until october of 2020 why because i want to take off the spring i'm going to do some traveling and then b we have a big surprise i'm going to talk about here in just a second but before i get to if you want to learn about the kuna boardroom uh, we're going to do a webinar um, next week on it so to get in, enrolled in that, go to kahunahq.com. So kahunahq.com and uh, register for the webinar. We're going to teach a little bit of stuff there, but we're also going to give you a, a lot of information on 
Kahuna Boardroom, what it is, what what you get, how does it work, and why it's probably the the best event that you'll go to this year because I give it all. Like I don't do any selling. We don't we don't have other products. I teach you everything. And that's not not many people do it that way. Most people have a coaching program, another this or something else that you got to buy. Guys, I I make no qualms about it. I'm not in this business to be a guru. I'm in this business to do deals. That's what I love about this business is that it gives you the opportunity to do deals. And when I created my podcast and the way I teach and my style, I'm I'm not trying to show you that I'm a, you know, here's my Lambo, here's my uh, whatever, you know, like I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just telling you, like, really, I don't give an F. Honestly, (laughs) I don't. I don't make my money through the info space. I make my money in real estate. And so what a great, what a great, I mean, I'm free. (laughs) I'm free. I'm living my dream, whether or not you buy anything from me. And so I'm not, I'm not bound to it. And that's, that's, that's priceless, by the way. And that's the kind of stuff that I want, that mojo, the mojo baby that I want to give you, because I'm telling you, most people freaking hate their lives, man. And I'm living, I'm living my best life right now. And I just want you to, I want to share it with you. I want you to get all up in it with me and enjoy that lifestyle. Cause I'm telling you, it is cool. Okay. So the third thing is that I just need your help. I really do. I, man, listen, if you guys like this podcast, if you're not sharing it with like 10 of your friends right now, you're not, I mean, come on, you're not a, you're not a loyal fan. Really? I need your help. I honestly do. I want, I have a vision of where I want to grow this podcast and it's huge. I want it to be ranked number one. I really do. Cause I feel like it's probably the most best. It's the best teaching podcast that in multifamily space that I know that gives you like the little nitty gritties, the raw stuff. And it's not sugar-coated. So if you agree, make sure you tell some friends to get some people on this thing. Grab their phones and say, hey, hold on. Let me help you subscribe. That would be great. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm asking for your help. And honestly, I know it's working because I just went to a couple different multifamily events. And you guys, I, I mean, the people that listen to this podcast, so uplifting, so awesome, and you just came to me and said, man, I'm, you know, I hear your podcast. It's so awesome. It's so real. You're so true. You're telling me things that no one else will tell. And so from the bottom of my heart, honestly, uh, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. And, and, and gals, listen, in my last boardroom, it was 50-50. I had 50% of the room was women. What's up? Because that's how me and my wife do it. Like, we're bringing the ladies in the house, too, because it doesn't just have to be an all-men event, right? It's about the ladies, too. And because there's a lot of lady bosses out there that know what the hell they're doing, that they want to, you know, sometimes they want to retire their husband, like, so it doesn't have to be just, it's not a male dominant sport here and everybody can play. So um, we're going to get into the juice is worth the squeeze series here in a second. But first I've just got to, I got to share, you know, I love it when you guys go to iTunes and give me those reviews. And so I got to share two real quick, just two real quick. First one is from uh, Jason Miles, and uh, he puts, you know, priceless. He goes, thank you for the information you're sharing because of you being willing to share, I have just acquired my first 60-unit building. 
This is a no BS podcast that everyone who wants to who wants passive income and to be a real investor should listen to. I actively flip single family houses and I can tell you there's nothing like multifamily. Thanks, Corey. Man, Jason, awesome. Hey, big shout out to you, brother. Congratulations, because I know it is not easy. It's not easy in this business, man. It's a lot of work, right? And so to you for you to get where you're going and where you've gone, that's that shows big, big kahunas. <laughs> awesome for you. Um, the next one comes from Aaron. Aaron, Aaron C12. It looks like Aaron C12. The big kahuna says, Thank you, Corey. For all the content you're providing, I've learned so much just by tuning into this podcast. I'm an entrepreneur with zero units right now, but looking into my first deal as we speak. My plan is to be the guest on this podcast on or before the next calendar year. Keep plugging away, man. Thanks again for taking time out of your day to help us listeners on our real estate journey. Listen, Aaron, I you know thank you so much for that because it is a journey. Real estate is a journey, but it's the most rewarding journey that I know of, and it can be so uh, rewarding financially, right? Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about making legacy wealth. All right, guys, that was a lot of talking. I'm sorry, that's like eight minutes of talk, nine minutes of talking about what's going on in the kahuna world. Um, so let's get down to some, some actually some meat and potatoes, and let's start this first segment, the juice is worth the squeeze. So to do that, I'm going to actually share my screen. So if you're going to YouTube, you're going to start seeing my screen and what we're talking about. So um, first of all, when it comes to the deals, like, you know, getting a deal under contract, you got to start with the, a calculator. So you've got to be able to pencil a deal and say, hey, is this thing going to work or not? And we now there's lots of calculators out there. Okay. We have our own. It's called the Kahuna Cash Flow Calculator. And so when you put information in a deal, right, about deals, um, you've got you to analyze, I mean, lots and lots of deals. Like the job is to find needles in the haystack. And when you find a needle in the haystack, eventually you look at enough of them, you know, a, a drop of water, a deal is going to pop out. Now, when that happens, what happens next? Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain the whole process of a potential deal to I'm going under contract and I'm going to really talk about the timeline and what happens and what goes wrong and what I believe the process should look like. This is uh, in today's episode. We're going to go through that whole process. And then the next episode, we're going to go over like the timing and the cost of things and when you're going to start spending money. I'm going to red flag it in today's episode, but we're going to talk about it more in detail on the next episode. So you have a pencil deal. What happens next? Okay. Or what you think is a pencil deal, because a lot of times what you should be doing is using virtual assistants. I believe you should be training virtual assistants and we have pre-trained virtual assistants, by the way, for you. If you're ever interested, we can help you get a pre-trained virtual assistant that understands our software and can get it up to 95% accurate. We'll maybe call it 90-95. And because most people, this is where actually most people fail, by the way, is they have a great idea that I'm going to go find deals. But the reality is they're not willing to do the work. In other words, you've got to look at not just one deal, but 100 deals. And, you know, last year we looked at 752 deals. 
Okay, that's a lot of deals to analyze. So the job is to find needles in the haystack. And sometimes, you know, it's sometimes it's one out of a hundred to get the real deal. And so you gotta be willing to do that. So when you finally get that deal that spits out a number, you know, and it looks like it's going to work, then you gotta have what I call your final look. That's step one, is you have a deal, maybe a, a VA got it and sent it to you and says, hey, this looks like it pencils. Then you've got to do your, what I call is a final look. And you're going to inform it to the best of your knowledge. You're going to, you know, you put some demographics on it. You're going to put some, um, you know, understanding. Do I understand the area? You know, is it financially viable deal? Is there anything that, you know, right now that you look at it says, man, this is, this is not going to be worth any other time. And so if it's, if it's no, then it's just a dead deal. At that point, if you really do some final, you know, you put some demographics, you go look at the city and you're like, ooh, this is not, this is not going to work. Guys, I, I'm probably telling you this different than most people talk about. We try to find a deal first, then we go back and see if we can understand the, the area. There's lots of people that will teach you to go find an area and just go find deals in that area. We believe, I personally believe, that limits you in the type of deal. So we'll talk about a region. And then we'll, and we just look at everything. We underwrite as many things as we can because we know the job is to find needles in the haystack. So now we're looking at the deals and we're going to say, okay, well, I'm going to put my final look on it and I'm going to, you know, make sure does this pencil or not? Does it move forward or not? And if it's no, then it's a dead deal. And then it just goes up to a follow-up system because even dead deals can become can become deals at the right price. At the right price if it's a dead deal for the right reasons. It, you know, if it was a dead deal because of some of the uh, economics of the area and it just doesn't look good and maybe it's a deal killer or maybe it's fractured units or something that you found out that, hey man, I can't go forward with this deal, it'll never be a deal. But anything that's not that then goes into the dead deal follow-up bucket where you're gonna follow up six months, you know, three months from now to say, hey, is it still in the market? Maybe it didn't close. I mean, there's lots of things that can happen that you can resurrect an old deal. I'll give you an example. We bought a property in Yuma, Arizona that we got a $1.2 million discount on because you know, after the third time of going in and out of contract, on the fourth time, she just wanted to close. And she and at this point, they're ready just to like sell it at a price that's stupid. And so we bought it at a, at a great price. You know, we had to go through, um, it was kind of a dead deal until we resurrected it. It happens all the time, guys. Happens all the time. So once, if it's yes, though, let's say you've got a pencil deal, you've got your final look, and it's a yes. Well, at this point, now, in my, the way we work it, is now it merits a site visit, where we're going to physically spend real money. Because why are we going to spend real money? Because a site visit requires you to fly most of the times. We're flying to the location. We're gonna spend the night and we're gonna spend, you know, money to, you know, eat and all that stuff. And your time. Because like spending real money and real time to do a site visit. Now, why do we do it this way? Why do I teach doing it this way? Because I believe when when people say, hey, just go put in LOIs, put in offers, I think you're shooting yourself in the foot because you're you're your offer has no legitimacy. You have to visit the dirt in order to make an impact in the broker's eyes. 
and you want to come in as a bona fide buyer. And you can't do that if you've not visited the dirt. Now, the trick is, it doesn't always have to be you. A lot of times, if you have a management company in a region, they can go on your behalf. Okay, that a lot of times, that's what that's what I do, is I'll have my management company go on my behalf and look at the properties and verify um, what's going on. They do the site visit for me. Now, that's taken a lot of level of trust, but we're going we're gonna to talk about that. But someone's going to have to go do a site visit. And what's the job at the site visit? Well, you know, A, A it's to kill the deal. You're going there with the thought that I'm going to kill this. I'm trying to see where this deal is going to blow up. And if, if there is a point that it could, I want to blow it up. I'd rather blow it up now with a little bit of money being spent than to go way into the deal and find out that the same things were true in the beginning, that, but now it's going to cost you a lot more money. Okay, that, that sucks. Ask me how I know this, right? Because I've paid the price more than once. Not fun, my friends. But life goes on. So in the site visit, when you get to the site visit, the goal is really to, we, we'll call it interrogation, <laughs> for lack of a better word. But truly, the, the goal is to get as much information. You're trying to prove your underwriting. You're trying to make sure that what you put in your numbers are accurate. So you're looking at things like your CapEx expectations. And you're, you know, you're trying to visit all the vacant units. You're trying to look at all the down units. If there's any down units, you want to look at every one of them. You go on the backside of units um, and, and you're trying, you know, it's like the car test. Like when you go turn in your car for trade-in, how the, you know, the guys just pick it apart right in front of you. Well, you want to do that. That's what you're trying to do at the site visit. You're also sitting down, and, and I've got other episodes where we talk about sitting down with the manager and really, you know, doing a we'll call it an interrogation, but you're, you know, a fact-finding mission from God. That you're trying to go and find out all the things that are that it could be potentially wrong or right. And then my favorite question is the magic wand question. In other words, you just say, you know. Mr. and Mrs. Manager or Mr. Manager, if I gave you a magic wand and you said you could, you know, you could use this wand to do anything or fix anything that you want, what would you fix? You know, and you'll be surprised of the answers. And they and the the magic wand is how people start singing like canaries. It's really a beautiful thing. And you just you gotta just physically, you know, in your mind, you you give them the wand and they take it and then, you know, and they use the magic wand. And that gets them to open up and start telling you about the property. Okay, so after you're done with the site visit, now you're going to like come out of this thing and saying, well, where am I at? Do I, do I have a deal or is there some things that absolutely don't, that smell and they don't smell good? Okay, that can happen. In fact, I would say 50% of the time, we come back from a site visit saying, man, it's really not what we thought it was. Or this, you know, there was this little thing that we didn't really see. Or would you believe it that sellers sometimes disguise the truth? I mean, I, they put together these really nice packets that look really great. But would you believe that they actually sometimes lie? <laughs> yes, they do. And so um, when you discover those things that they didn't want to tell you, they, that could actually kill the deal. 
And so if it's a no, so after the site visit, it's kind of like the huddle, and we're going to get back together with our team, and we're going to say, do we want to go forward or not? Or a lot of times we get on the site visit, and we've learned some things, right? So I always say there's a yes, no, and a maybe to all these steps, right? The no is, oh, it's a dead deal. We know it's a no. But before it's like, well, it could be just a no because of real things. And so it's a no, it's a dead deal. Maybe it's on the follow-up list. Maybe it's not. Uh, maybe it's truly not a project we'd ever want to own. But if it's, you know, that's where the dead deal, that's the boneyard. It could be a maybe. So the maybe is anytime that you find different information, let's say, gosh, I budgeted $2,500 a door for CapEx, but I'm looking at this property now and it needs it needs a lot more work. I mean, the units that I'm looking at seem pretty down and I think it's going to take a lot more, you know, and the shrubs, it's overgrown to hell. It's going to need paint. There could be problems with the roofs. I mean, you know, these starts, these things start to, you know, to smell of, oh gosh, what was, you know, maybe a $300,000, $400,000 CapEx budget is now looking like six fifty, dollars maybe seven hundred. dollars And so, when those types of things happen, then we have to go back and inform our cash flow calculator. So you're going to hear me say the word inform a lot because every time that we go to the property or we learn more accurate information, the goal is then to inform your calculator. And so what you'll see for us is when we are doing this, we have, you know, we start with version one, then we go version two, version three, version four. Every time we inform our cash flow calculator and we get more accurate information, we are putting it in and then we say, does it, does it still pencil? Is it still a deal? And sometimes that leads to, no, it's not. We have to, to walk, walk away. Or it says, yes, it is, but yes, it is at this price. Right now, we're just on the site visit. So we've not made an offer. So if we go to the site visit and we're like, oh, gosh, um, it does need, you know, instead of $2,500 a door, it needs um, $3,500 a door. So we'd put $3,500 a door and we would see if that price still works for the offer price. Maybe we have to adjust it a little bit um, for our numbers to pencil out. And then we'll say, okay, great. We think it's a deal at this price and we think we want it, we're ready to make a LOI, which is our next phase, right? In other words, I'm ready to, at this price, it appears that our, our, our process is still working and now we're going to create a letter of intent. A letter of intent is, a, is kind of a non-formal way to say, hey, we wanna buy your property. Now, why is it important to have an LOI? Because that's just the way it, it, it is done in the commercial world. In the single family world, all we do is just put an offer under contract. But in the multifamily world, we're going to create an LOI, a letter of intent. And so in that letter of intent, now a lot of people I think make this mistake is they have these very long contract looking uh, letters of intent. We have a two pager and really the, most of the things that are on the second page is the signature block. So we almost have it in one page. But it's also um, the reason it's two is because we try to list all the items that we want from on, in our due diligence, right? So, and it's very easy to understand, like not lawyer-driven language in our LOI. We want it to be very clear 
what our intentions are with not a lot of legal ease that would normally go in a contract. So when you get to the LOI, you know, like when we're saying, okay, it's time to, you know, formulate our LOI. Now, if you listen to other episodes, again, we've talked about this, about stacking the deck, right? To make sure that you get your LOI accepted. You want your, uh, your credibility kit, your manager's credibility kit. You want a proof of funds. Um, you want to have, you know, your stuff loaded up, looking so legit and tight that you, pre- you present a very, very strong offer. And we're always going to ask the um, listing broker for pricing guidance, right? Pricing guidance. I think that's a very important process to how we operate. And so at this point in time, and so really in the LOI process, there's going to be negotiations. So you're going to submit an LOI. Sometimes it's just going to go to what's called a best and final round. And then you get in your best and final and they pick uh, pick an offer. But like the last deal that I just had, there was no other competing bids. They just took ours. And in our LOI, they said, well, you know, we negotiated our price a little bit, right? Every time we had to negotiate a price, we had to uh, inform our calculator and says, does it still work? Does it still pencil? And a lot of times it's a little bit of terms as well. It'll, you know, you'll have a little bit of negotiation with the seller at this point. If they say, hey, listen, we, we like your LOI, but we don't, we'll take it. Or a lot of times they'll just counter. Sometimes you send an LOI and they'll just counter the LOI right there. And that's what happened on my last deal that we just did is that they just countered it. And so they were like $150,000 difference. All they countered me was on price. Well, so then we got to the price and then they're like, well, but we almost, we have some items in uh, that we don't want to do with your due, due diligence. And so we're like, we try to get that out of the way a little bit, but it's usually not a good idea to get in too much of the weeds in an LOI. What we want to do is we want them to sign it. First of all, we want all parties to sign an executed LOI. Why is that important? Because it gives you strength when you're going to do your contract in your purchase and sales agreement. So again, at the LOI LOI process, there's a yes, yes. In other words, they said, yes, we want your deal. We choose you. Or negotiations happen and maybe it's a no. Maybe at the end of the day, you just can't come to terms and it's a no and they walk away. And again, just because it's no doesn't mean that it's that it's dead. It just means it goes into the boneyard. Okay, and you got to follow up. Maybe that thing can be resurrected down the road, 30 days down the road, 90 days down the road, you never know. Or you have to inform your cash flow calculator. Every time every time there's change or we get more accurate data of what's going on, we're always going to inform our cash flow calculator to get it to its highest and best degree of certainty of, of being accurate. Okay, so now we move on. They say, you know what? Yes. We are ready. We want, we pick you. We signed your LOI. Now, usually when you get a signed LOI, you're like, hell yeah, right? I mean, you're usually doing what I call is the happy dance. And I love doing the happy dance uh, because normally this means that you're going to go to the next phase, which is your uh, purchase and sales contract. Now, when we get to our purchase and sales contract and and really we normally will spend so we're talking about spending money if you're watching this on youtube you're seeing my little red dots there could be truly a red dot in the loi process 
normally what we do is we will um you're gonna spend money when you go to do the site visit that's just for sure right no 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 ands ifs or buts on your loi we typically have a boilerplate loi but sometimes you can have a lawyer draft an loi i don't ever recommend it it, it should be super plain english at that point okay so you could maybe spend money in drafting an LOI, but once you get this thing down, you have a boilerplate template, you should never have to use a attorney to draft an LOI. So when they do say yes, now we're going to again get into that, we're going to spend real money because now we have to um, create a purchase and sales contract. Now in our contracts, in our LOIs, we state that we will provide, the buyer will provide a purchase and sell agreement within one week. I think we say seven business days. And we say we always talk business days. We never talk calendar days because um, the weekends and holidays and things that can get in the way, you've got to say business days when you're doing this kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, they sign, sign an LOI. Now we're going to go into the purchase and sales contract. And guys, honestly, this can take a couple weeks, right? Sometimes three or four weeks. It depends on how attorneys. Now, what's going to go on in this process? Your attorney is going to draw up a contract that mimics your LOI. And they're going to submit it to the seller. So really seller's counsel, seller's attorney. And this is where they're going to play a markup game, dude. It's the craziest game I've ever seen when attorneys get together and like, I'm going to mark up your stuff. No, I'm going to mark up your stuff. My stuff's got to be in there. No, but my stuff's got to be in there. And I'm telling you, it's like watching, and we pay them for this crap. And at the end of the day, they're they're like talking about stuff that honestly would never really matter, but it's like, it's it, but the devil's in the details. And so you have to pay money for this. You have to pay money for it. And so, but you're the, you know, and then here again, here is where the legal ease comes into like having a really good attorney that knows contract law and how to write our contracts. And that's why for us, we do it very, it's very systematic that we use our LOI and our uh, templated purchase and sales contract because they match each other in some places verbatim verbatim in the the items that we want to collect from them in our due diligence in other words you know we're looking for you know tax returns and bank statements and certified financials and there's just a big laundry list that we use and we call that just addendum addendum a and it's the same language that's in our loi very plain very clear so so people cannot so when they push back on that we're like guys we couldn't have been more clear than the LOI that you signed. You know, that's the stuff that we wanted. That's why we put an LOI with those things in it. Again, now starts the negotiations. And so like one of the things that we never put in the LOI, but we always put it in our purchase and sales contract. We'll call that a PSA, by the way, PSA is a contract extension. I always, without fail, every deal I've ever done, I've managed to put in an extra 30 days for whatever reason, and I usually try to pay between $20,000, $25,000 to extend my contract for 30 days, no matter what. There's, And I don't even have to have a reason for it. I just send the money to title and notify them, and boom, it's done. Well, why is that valuable? Because, listen, when we're raising money, 
you know, 90 days, 45 days and 45 days goes by fast. And, but 120 days is usually what it takes to close deal. And so I, I just immediately put speed breaks on all my deals by giving myself an extra 30 days. So it's very, very, very important. So um, in our purchase and sales contracts, that's what we're trying to do. So you're going to negotiate a little bit more. Again, here's where things can get foggy. Sometimes they'll ask for more earnest money. I've seen that happen. Um, or they'll, you know, it's usually, but it's usually little on little nitpicky things that attorneys go back and forth. So it's normally just the attorneys trying to get a signable purchase and sales contract. And that, like, I've we've tried to speed up that process. It'll it never goes fast because you're working with attorneys and they bill by the hour and they don't care. Like they're not, they're busy guys a lot of times, and so it's I, between a two to three week process to get your purchase and sales contract fully signed um, or, or ready to where me, the buyer, can sign it and the seller will agree to sign it as well. Okay, but when that happens, right? And now I'll tell you this. Sometimes somebody can sign your LOI and then guess what? When it comes to the purchase and sell agreement, there is an impasse where the seller's attorney and the buyer's attorney can't agree. <laughs> and so the deal goes south. How do I know this? Well, because I have a property called Rhine Garden in Birmingham, Alabama, that I had a signed LOI, and we were going to, this was, would have been a great deal for us. I mean, it would have been the deal of all deals. And But the seller couldn't agree to the terms that were stated in the LOI. It was like, we weren't even trying to be weird. They just didn't want to sign for whatever reason. And it was all about money and partners because, you know, the partners wanted to sell, but one partner didn't and ended up holding up the whole thing. And so it never came to fruition. So now what did Corey Peterson lose? Money, right? Corey Peterson lost money. And it sucks to lose that kind of money on a, you know, where we drove, uh, flew all the way out there on the site visit. I initially had a um, attorney working doing the purchase and sales contract that I ended up having to eat. And so uh, that's not fun. That's not fun at all. But does it happen? Yes, it does. Sure as hell does. I promise you. So like buyer beware, like you've got to come into these things with your eyes wide open. Cause I'm telling you, if there's a mistake to be made or a way to lose money, I've probably done it. I have probably done it. And so it's by making these mistakes and understanding how things work that I, I can give you real true info, the insider data that you need to, to understand and that things can go south just because you have uh, everybody said yes on an LOI doesn't mean you're going to go to contract doesn't mean anything. Until you have inked a purchase and sales contract, you have a pipe dream. <laughs> That's it, man. You have a freaking pipe dream until someone signs that dotted line on that purchase and sales contract. But once that gets signed, well, at that point, the price of poker just went up because we're fixing to go into the next phase. So once you have a purchase and sales contract, remember, we we probably negotiated here and we probably had to inform our calculator every time we get better information, we're informing it, make sure it's accurate, um, creating different versions as we go along or it 
you know, your deal gets killed. So now let's say it's yes. They sign, we sign, everybody's cool. And now we're going to start our due diligence period. Okay. Now, typically your due diligence period in our contracts, our purchase and sale agreements, we will try to have a 45, well, we call it 30 business days, 30, 30 business days to do our due diligence and 30 business days to close. And then we also add that 30 day extension. Okay. But business days, business days is truly like 45 days, 45 calendar days. So we have a 45 day calendar day um, due diligence period and a 45 calendar day to close, right? And then we always have a next or 30. And, and these are, when I ask for 30 days, I don't say business, I just say calendar days. Then you'll give yourself an extra month to close. That's that's very smart business, in my opinion. So in the due diligence, now, again, we got a red dot on our due diligence because there's a potential you're going to spend money. Well, what are you going to spend money on? Well, we've got to have your crew, your, your, your due diligence crew to show up. Uh, you're going to have to pay. And, and listen, if you're doing this right, if you're trying to do this on your own, you are in a world of poo-poo, my friend. Don't do it. Don't think that you're good enough. I've been doing this for a while, and I'm not good enough. I, I have no desire to go unit by unit to check everything and to come up and to do a financial audit on the property. Pay your management company. You're usually your management company is going to do this for you, and they're very efficient at it. They're going to they're gonna rate, and they should be going door to door on every unit, and they're rating the bedrooms, the kitchen, the living rooms. Um, you know, usually there's a rating process. A, B, C, or D, um, and they're you know it's going to help kind of give a valuation of what the real asset looks like and how much money is it going to take to get fixed up. Not only are we doing um, a financial audit on the property, like the, uh, and by the way, our due diligence period never we try to make it never start until the seller has delivered all due diligence items and we have signed off on them saying that they have been delivered. It's not enough for them just to say, yeah, we delivered them. We've got to sign off on them stating, yes, they indeed have been delivered as, you know, we asked. That's important um, because you don't want your due diligence period to start until you got all the information to start doing the work. And so this is a common area that a lot of times you have to negotiate because everybody's like, well, no, it should start, start right away. Well, why are you going to penalize me? I don't even have any information. So why would I start? our countdown until like you give us really actionable information. So usually you have to go back and forth, back and forth a little bit, but you'll eventually get there. Okay. So in that due diligence period, again, you're, this is probably the, the biggest point in time when you're going to have the most leverage. In fact, we are storing up to this moment. We are having all our contractors giving multiple bids on things that we see. Like we're going to have, we're trying, like I always say in these types of uh, situations, everybody has a gun and they're low, they're, but there's no ammo and you got to get the ammo from the other person. And our ammo is in all those items. We want to come into a deal after our due diligence and truly know more than the seller does. Now, not the seller's, we want to actually know more than the seller's management company because we already know the seller doesn't know what's going on, but we want to make sure that we know more than the seller's 
managers, their manager group. I mean, basically anybody they have working for them. We want to know more than they do because we're going to overwhelm overwhelm them with our evidence, and and we're going to use that to do our negotiations to to retrade. We don't like to retrade if we don't have to, but if a property merits a retrade, we are absolutely without a doubt going to use all the information at our leverage to create a compelling story, meaning we're putting them with so much data that it's irrefutable that there's an issue with the property and that they're going to have the same issue with every buyer. And so that is how we stack the deck because at this point in time, we are going to be coming up to our hard money line. That's the point in time when your due diligence is over. And so like that line is critical. When that day happens, if you don't say, and, and you don't wait till the day of to disclose all this, you you usually wait a week before, a week before your da- uh, your due date is when you start giving them, here's where we're at, because you got to give a couple of ta- uh, some days to negotiate. And if you get to, if you almost get to that point, then you got to say, hey, listen, we need to extend our due diligence another three or four days because we have issues, right? And we need to negotiate through this or we're just going to have to cancel the contract. That's, I mean, it's got to be that type of like, that's how you get it. Either you extend our due diligence for an, another week so we can negotiate this through, or we're going to have to cancel our contract right now. And most people do not want to go through, oh, they're going to cancel. No, they want you to buy the property. They want you to close. And so that's one of the tricks that we can use to make sure that we get the extra time that we need. Okay. So now we're going all the way to the hard money line. And this is where you've got to say, is the juice worth the squeeze? Okay. It doesn't get any more real at this moment of time of what is going to happen next. Because once you get to that point where your due diligence is over, your money now becomes hard. Because when you went to that purchase and sell agreement, you had to give up some earnest money. And that earnest money is there and it's refundable to you until the end of due diligence. At that point in time, my friend, your money goes hard. And that means you're at risk of losing it if you don't close. And so this is the moment of time where you got to look and say, how much money have we raised? Do I know that I can get it done? Do I have all the people in place to get it done? Um, And I got to know for certain that it will. And if you don't, you've got to start working and trading and finding the partners quickly to make sure that you can close this deal or risk losing all of your money. Now, it is a very, um, for on your first one, it's going to feel like, oh my God, right? This is why when you're in that LOI process, not only are you doing all this LOI stuff, but you're raising a crap ton of money. You're getting people on the phone. You're getting, and we're going to talk about that more in this next, the next episode of, of what we're doing, you know, like the busyness that's going to happen um, and what you're going to do in the next episode. So don't worry. Like we're just right now, we're, I'm doing the high level stuff. We're going to get more in the weeds on the next episode because this is the truly, because um, once you get to that hard money point, I'm telling you, it's like, <sighs> all right, am I going to will this thing to happen? Right. Am I, is it going to happen? And yeah, I remember on my first one, I was I was scared, nervous, man. I'm just like, I I didn't know. And man, I was hoping, but man, I'm telling you, I had to. I kind of had to let them hang a little bit. And 
it was nervous. I, I've never been, and even to this day, I'm in a deal right now. I got to raise uh, 5.5 million bucks, and I got a pretty good idea where it's all coming from. But until it's all in the bank, man, I'm I'm a very, uh, I will call it very serious person. I'm a very serious person right now. Uh, my my wife knows not to mess with me, and I'm I'm super focused, hyper focused on what I've got to do and the calls that I've got to make and who I'm supposed to be talking to. And I stay on task, man. And I, I just, I smile and dial. I do the work. I, I make sure that, you know, I've got all the pieces in place and it's never failed me. It's never failed me to this day. And so, um, you know, that's just how you do it. So we get to the hard money line and then you're going to get to that last piece is where you actually close. You've raised all the money right? You're going to take the next 45 days and, you know, it's going to feel like you're not going to get there. You're not going to get there. And all of a sudden at the end, all the money starts showing up and it gets, you get your bank accounts filled up and, and you finally get to the, the part where like, man, we're going to do this. You know, you got your management company. Um, now there's lots of things and we're going to cover this in the next podcast. That's going to happen as you're going through this thing, this process of closing and steps that have to be done, have to be done. There's lots of moving parts in this ballerina story here, okay? Because it is a working piece of art to take millions of dollar assets and, and you know, even from getting the electric turned on, right? To make sure that that happens so your tenants don't get their utilities turned off. That would be important. So there's lots of little things that go on in this process. But once you get past that hard money line where your money goes hard, the goal then is just to keep raising money, keep raising money, um, make sure you got your um, financing in, in, in all, everything in, term, uh, in, in order. And then we always have the parachute. The parachute is the 30-day close, the 30-day extension. Um, that's why I've put it there. It's just because you get to that point. You should act as if you're closing in 45 days from your hard money when your money goes hard, but you always have your parachute that you can deploy and get an extra 30. That is the way I've always done it, and it always seems to work really, really well. But you get to that closing point, and I'm telling you, usually at that closing point, it feels great, it feels awesome, and you feel like a winner, and you do it, and you're like, yes, hell yeah, and then the real work begins, because now you gotta make the asset work and run and make your investors money. So you're not out of the woods yet, you're a babe in the woods, but you are getting your first deal under contract. I'm telling you, it is the most coolest thing you'll ever do. I'll remember when I first bought my first property and I walked on site as the owner. Man, I'm telling you, it felt good. And it will feel good for you too. I promise you. It is the sunsets and palm trees life, guys. It does happen. People like us, just the small people, the little ones. Okay, and the big ones. I mean, everybody, listen, it doesn't matter where you're at. It just matters what you want to do and what kind of effort you're willing to put in. Guys, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Hopefully you've, you've, you've loved this episode on Is the Juice Worth the Squeeze? Part one. Stick tuned to next week for part two episode. We're going to go into the weeds of all the things and how, what things are going to cost, who you're going to have to alert, your timelines, all that stuff to get to the closing table. Guys, it is fun. It's intense. And it's a great process. It's a, it's a, honestly, it's, it's the process that I truly love. Cause once I close on them, I'm really not interested anymore. 
<laughs> the management company takes over. I, I guide them and, and do what they do. But up until this point, I'm I'm the leader of the process, and I, I like it. So, guys, uh, stay tuned for next week. If you believe it, you can achieve it, guys. Your paradise is possible.